Welcome to the About Your Mother podcast. In today's episode, meet Jeff Forney, photographer and visual story sharer. Prepare to be inspired by a touching and poignant discussion on the meaning of the word mother, the journey to finding his birth mother, and the impact this experience had on him. I met Jeff years ago through my husband, but we immediately connected on the topic of adoption, which is something that touches many people, but far too often is discussed in whispers and behind closed doors. We both agree it shouldn't be that way. The road to adoption is varied, winding, and unique to each adoptee and family. It inspired Jeff to launch the Innocent People Project, first with photos, then with the desire to create a media narrative for which he is dedicated to bring to life. Jeff got a start in front of the camera, but as you will learn listening to his story, he was called behind the lens because there was so much he needed to share. Jeff, welcome to About Your Mother, where your story begins. I'm so grateful you came to share your story with us. Well, um, thanks for having me. Well, you have such an incredible background, a dynamic life, and a passion project that is such a fitting topic for this podcast. So since we begin every discussion with a reflection or a memory, we decided, let's start with, what does the word mom mean to you? Mom means... Uh, nurturing uh, and support, loving. To this day, I'll call my mom if I've got something going on and she'll say, you know, why don't we pray about it? Be driving down the 101, going to a job or got something that's a little bit a challenge in life. And my mom will just, you know, she's kind of my spiritual support and a guide. She's just been very great that way. Mom to me, because there's many versions of mom out there and being adopted, you could say that your mom is your biological creator. Mom is the one who is there for you. Mom is the one that nourishes you and loves and supports and was there for me at all from the beginning adopted into the family at like, you know, six weeks of age. We both have adoption in our families and lives. Tell me a little bit more about your experience with adoption. Adoption was always known. You know, I remember revisiting it. I remember probably about four years old, four or five asking now, what does it mean to be adopted? And my parents explained it to me and they they explained it as, well, we wanted you, we chose you to be in our life. So I did feel special and I felt wanted. And my mom had even created a song when I was zero, when I was, you know, maybe a few weeks old, she sang a song. I don't remember exactly, but it was something about, you know, we wanted you and we took you into our family and there's a little song about it with the word adoption in it so so even though i was not even speaking i was it was getting clocked into my head early on so um, i think that's such a gift that's great yeah and i didn't find out when i was 18 i didn't find out because i saw some birth records i shouldn't have seen it was always known my sister also was adopted and but we felt very family unit. It was a very loving, uh, wonderful childhood. I have a lot of great memories and my parents were, I'm so grateful for the parents that I was uh, given 
in this yeah. world. So, so talk about, cause it's such a dynamic and incredible story and you're um, so open to sharing this. What was your process for saying, okay, I think I want to identify my birth mother. It wasn't something that was on my brain so much. I, I think in college, I started coming more into my own as we do. And I started just kind of being more comfortable in my own skin. And then I said, you know, I'd love to know, let's solve the mystery of my origin. And I just wanted to know. It was curiosity. It was a desire to know where I came from. I looked into it and there was a chapter in the town of the college that I was attending at uh, Chico State University. There's a chapter of Alma, Adoptees Liberty Movement Association, and I don't even think they exist here anymore. I think they're in Colorado, maybe a chapter. I don't even know. But it, at the time, there was a wonderful woman named Leela Hicks, and she led a Wednesday night group that I went to once a week and would go there at seven o'clock in the evening and meet with adoptees, birth parents. And we sat around and there was a lot of discussion. There was, you know, people talking about how they found a birth parent or a birth parent saying, talking about how they found a birth child. And they, it started with that. And there was sometimes also the last half hour of the meetings were search. There was some search help. So I, yeah. you know, started, getting some info on that. And I started, you know, pursuing it. But when I had told my parents, it was, you know, it's, it is a little, it is a little daunting telling your parents that you want to look. I was a little nervous about it because you feel like you're cheating on your parents and you feel like, wow, I've had these wonderful humans that have done the best they can and they did a great job this is something that we tell, this is a story that adoptees tell themselves that we need to rid ourselves of. And that is how dare you look for your biological mm. beginnings. You have a wonderful home. This is this, you know, if you feel like you're cheating on your parents, you can be so hard on yourself. You're like, is it going to be seen as I'm ungrateful, but that's not what it is. Right. No. At all. No. And I told them that, and I was, I was a little nervous about it. And I sat at, dinner and told them, so I just want to let them, you know, I want to just find where I came from and let them know I'm alive. And thanks for having me. And, you know, life is good. And and my mom did say, um, I don't think it's going to be that easy. I don't think it's going to be just, Hey, how you doing? Thanks for giving me life. And sign up. Yeah, exactly. Nice nice to meet you. She was very correct about that. So I probably (laughs) underestimated what what I was getting into, but I was all full of energy and 22-year-oldness. So I... 22-year-oldness, yes. (laughs) I was full of whatever, vitality. I'm going to find out. And then it's... You were on a mission. (laughs) I was on a mission. And the mission, I thought it was going to be quite a while and only ended up taking about six months. Wow. Lucky. I knew a middle name from the non-identifying information from Oakland Children's Home Society, Oakland. And so I had a middle name of Lynn and I started looking for, I mean, it's so not the best detective work, but I was looking for anybody that had the name Lynn that might've given birth in the Bay area on that day. And like, it's such a a vast 
came back to the meeting and Lila was like, you know, instead of looking into those birth records, how about just writing to the children, uh, San Francisco Children's Hospital and write mm-hmm. for your particular birth record? Maybe there's something that, you know, maybe there's something there. I don't know. So I, I did that. They wrote back to me with nine pages of information with it exacto knifed out all of the stuff that was you know, it all been redacted, taken out. I could see through the paper. I showed them at, at the meeting. And I also pointed out that uh, I had noticed on the very last page, somebody had used that paper cleaver and they missed a portion. And at the very top right corner, you could see those cut in half, but it said Taylor baby. We just ran with that. You know, Leela devised the idea of like, hey, why don't you get your girlfriend to write that she is Ms. Lynn Taylor, get the records. And we did this within two weeks of having originally gotten those those first set of papers. And either the person was uh, not paying attention or it was a different person working there or it was somebody who was kind of aware that I was an adoptee and looking, but they could give me the records because I had enough information that they wouldn't get fired. And they might've, you know, there could have been somebody on the inside the records department that was an adoptee. Those things do happen. Little auspicious signals from the universe, right? Yeah. And so we got the same exact stack of papers with everything. And then I, what does that feel like? Is that its own moment too, to see the name on paper? It was, I was blown away. I looked at it. I looked at it with my girlfriend and we were like, oh my gosh, this is my birth mother. And we had a, in the city of Chico, there was an adopted police officer who ran the social security number for me, a little bit underground railroad-ish, you know? So uh, this person called Leela back. Leela had a friendship with this officer and said, get your pen and paper out because she's in Oregon and here she is. Oh, so I have it was like, wow, it just kind of happened uh, quite quickly. And I sat on it for like two days, just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Kept looking at it. My roommates, you know, dude, when are you going to, when are you going to call? And we had, I think like a six pack of, you know, Sierra Nevada pale L in the, uh, <laughs> in the, in the fridge and I drank a beer and they kind of gave me a pep talk. I think somebody right. was like, you know, kind of loosen up my shoulders a little bit and they're like, get in there, you know, yeah. and I, and I went, in my room, <laughs> went in my room and I had one of those little wiretap things on the phone from back in the, back in the day in the nineties yeah. with the intention of recording it. The line was busy back when lines were busy. And so I came back out of the room in like 30 seconds and they're like, I'm like, line's busy. And they're like, ah, and then they, Gave me one more beer. Like, okay, all right, we can do this. And, you know, and we sat for another 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to try again. I went back in and the phone rang. Unbeknownst to me, it was my half-sister, Ashley, who answered the phone. And I talked to her and said, hey, is Barbara in, please? And she said, yeah, just a minute. And Barbara, which she's known as Coco, the time I was calling her Barbara, but for now on, we'll refer to her as Coco. Coco came to the phone and said, who is this? And I had been trained at Alma of what to say. And 
also back in that day, you couldn't see every phone call you get now you see on your phone is what the number is. I said to her, I'm calling long distance, but I have some great and wonderful news for you. But I'm having a little trouble on my end with the phone line. Can I give you my phone number? And she said, sure. And so I gave her my phone number. So now I'm I'm on the notepad in her kitchen. I'm there. I've already made it into the house because wow. what I say next might she might think the make the phone might heat up like a hot potato and she'll hang up. So now I'm in the home and I said, well, on November 30th, 1968, you and I shared my birth. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, um, my name's Jeff and I believe you are my birth mother. And she said, how did you find me? And I said, well, I joined this group. And then as I was saying a little bit more, she said, hold on, I, I need to give me a second. And so she walked away. I could hear her evidently grabbing some Kleenex and I could hear her sniffling. And she came back to the phone and said, um, oh, I had not, sorry, I had not said yet my name because she came back and said, I named you David. What is your name again? And I said, I'm Jeff. And she said, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I said, yeah, me too. And so I have and I had the tape. I have a tape of it still. And we just kind of. Uh, There's a lot of note comparing and what happened as quick as you can in about 90 minutes phone call. Where did you grow up? And I explained all that and who my parents were. And then I also had a sister and she explained she came looking for me. She had said that she had signed papers saying if he comes in, relinquish my info. But when I went in, when I was searching, they did not notify me of that at all. So I'm not sure if that was an error on their part or if she misremembered. Anyway, we did a you know, review and I think we spoke the next day and we did make plans in a couple of weeks. She was going to fly me up from Chico to Portland and I was going to meet the family to do that. And, and that was interesting. You know? I bet. It was it was pretty bizarre. But before I did that. Coco, you know, she picked me up at the airport and this was the days when you could go to the gate and sit yes. <laughs> and wait. So right. I went through the tunnel and she says, I'll be wearing a red blazer. So I come through the gate and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about ready to walk in. Oh my God, here I go. Here it comes. And there's Coco. I see a woman in a red, she's right in front. And I walked up, we just gave each other a hug and kind of looked at each other and then we after some so a brief talk we started walking and continuing to talk and we made plans to go to a little microbrewery in portland for an hour we had a beer there and we talked about who, who was going to be at the house and what was going to be going down and just said that you know you're my two children your half siblings will be there my brother bob will be there. And he well, just so happens was also adopted her younger brother. It's funny how adoption 
a lot of times strewn out there, whether you yeah. know it or not. And, and you know, adoption wasn't a, was a, a very understandable option for her because she had been raised with a brother who had been adopted. You know, if if you're not adopted, you probably have a brother or a cousin or a sister or a best friend that is. It's it's out there. You know, she just kind of gave me the rundown, and we said, okay, now we're ready. And I went into the house and there was and also her husband and their two best couple friends. I sometimes have this ability to walk in. I'm nervous, but I just kind of walk in and I don't know, it all just let it all happen. So yeah. I, I welcomed it, even though it was a little bit weird, but I'm people person and I just took it in stride and it was exciting to meet people and yeah, it was, but it's, it is, it is a trip to look at somebody and see those physical similarities that you had not seen before. Yes. Yeah. No, there's, there's a, there's no doubt, no mistaking that I am the product of Coco, uh, physically looking and all that. And yeah. But, you know, and I definitely have, I'm a product of her with some of my adventurous spirit as well. But I am definitely a product of my parents who mm -hmm. raised me. And that's the old nature versus nurture. What are you? And the interesting thing about this world, this community of being adopted, I've met a lot of people that felt, oh, I'm definitely my biological parents. And I was so happy when I met them. I'm much more like them. And it solved all of the mysteries. But I, I'm on the other end. And there's other people like me that it didn't solve all the mysteries. I definitely have a lot of physical attributes and some character attributes. But I have so much of my parents in me. There's no right or wrong. Uh, it's, you know, I'm, we're hybrids and some people get 70% this, 30% that. Some people get 50-50. Some people are 90-10. We have all these ingredients, but the amounts that you put in there depends on whether it's a, a lasagna of this style or if it's a, you're not even making lasagna. You can be making something else. You know, it's... We talk about that, that it's not black and white. There's so much gray. And especially in this realm of adoption and family. Tell us a little bit about your career, which is going to segue into your project that you're working on, your passion project. Well, I'm a photographer and I, I photograph a lot of music and celebrity. I fell into photography from, I was a model in the 90s uh, in front of the camera and I traveled around the world and that was fantastic. And I eventually felt that I'd like to be in more of a creative control and I got into the photography and I'm a huge music lover. So I found myself in that realm. I was actually photographing one day Ray Liotta who came over to my home studio here and he went to use the restroom and he came out and said, what's up with the black rocks in your sink? Those like those smooth black rocks. I'm like, oh, my birth mother's kind of the hippie. He goes, you just said the magic words. You're adopted. So am I. And I was like, what? And we photographed and took photos in my studio for three hours, even went on a location here, driving in the car, talking, talking, talking about adoption and what it was like finding. And, you know, he had also done that. And 
it was fascinating. It was really fascinating. And I said goodbye to Ray and that was it. They loved the photos and probably four or five, maybe even yeah, five, six years even went by where I told the story and it was always a fun story to talk about. And I don't know, one day it just said, you know what? There's more of these stories. And there are people that are adopted that are unaware of these other people out there that we know that could share these stories and help other people. So I got this idea of uh, photographing adoptees in my community that I knew. I was part of this group called Cub Concerned United Birth Parents. And so I would attend that. And it's mostly birth parents, maybe a third of its adoptees. I started calling those people and emailing on the list and said, hey, would you like to photograph, get a photograph of you with your biological son or you with your biological mom or dad and started doing that. And then from there, I was mentioning to a friend who worked at an ad agency here in LA and he said, you know, he was looking at my book and he said, what else are you working on? And I said, I'm actually photographing adoptees that have, are in reunion. And he said, what? And I said, I'm fine. You know, I'm finding different families and photographing them. And he said, that is incredible. Let's think about getting that on film. So he was actually able to get some cameras on loan and we were able to start doing this project, driving to San Diego. I got some interviews in Oakland. I've gone up to Portland, Oregon to interview Coco. And we have gotten all these interviews of people and no two interview is the same. And it's these stories of reunion because the reunion, that reunion is an amazing thing. You get to meet your birth mother, your birth father, this is incredible. Wow. And it's a little bit of the honeymoon period. After a month or so, you start saying, so why was I relinquished? And why would you do that to something you carried for almost 10 months in your belly? There's the questions start coming after the, oh my gosh, we found each other. Then it's like, oh, now we're left. How did this happen? That is where I, we find that the real meat of the story is with these interviews. Uh, Hello, I'm Adopted is a page on Facebook that I'm a part of. And, and Joe Saul, great guy, wonderful adoption therapist out of New York. I used to do his Wednesday night meetings in New York when I lived there, Adoption Crossroads. Last night I was talking with somebody and finding your birth parents is like base camp Everest. Yep, you made it to 14,000 feet. You get acclimatized for two weeks. Now you start going to the top. Going to the top is a bitch. And that is where the real work happens. I know there's a lot of that kind of reunion for a friend of mine coined like reunion porn out there where it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, we just found my birth mother. Ta-da, no. pull away the van. Yeah. Look, at the, look at the people. Here we are. We're together. <laughs> Well, the camera just turn off. People go home and people feel good that the the boy found his dad. 
but the real story is after and how did it inform your life and how does that affect going forward in life and what does that relationship look like because in reality it's kind of messy it's not so clean and beautiful you know oh, it's messy some some are also there's a lot of messiness and there's no there's no rule book to how it goes and so i try to approach it like you would somebody a new relationship it's a it's a friendship it's a special friendship because it's yes there is some biological bond there but it's like a pool yeah yeah but there needs to be I'm not owed anything from my birth mother. My, I don't owe anything to her. Just because we found each other doesn't mean, well, now that we've done this, it means we must spend every Christmas together or, you know, there still needs to be boundaries and respect and understanding and vulnerability. You know, if you can stay vulnerable and let them know what it was like and how you feel you're in a you're in a good spot prepped for the healing that can come if you approach it the right way so there's a there's a lot of growth that you can get in that climb up everest but you need to be open to it uh, if you're kind of shut off and you're not going to you're not going to get very far you're going to get about another thousand feet and you'll say well, i'm not going any further you know i'm going to rest my laurels at base camp which <laughs> like you didn't climb. So, yeah, it, it, that's so well put. And obviously this is so important to you and you've worked on it for decades and this whole process of what it means. Um, and I think the, how did this happen is so important. I mean, the, how did my mom find herself in that position to give up her firstborn was really the impetus to writing a book. Cause I was like, well, what was your life like before that happened? When you said, you know, did you ask your mom? Cause I, I find, I find a lot of like, what was the reason for relinquishing and what brought you to the choice of saying, I'm going to relinquish this child. And I, it, I was speaking with one birth mother and she said, you know, it's not really the choice of saying that it was the lack of choice. It was the lack of any other option. Everything was shut down. Family was going to cut me off. There was going to be no, you don't come back to the house ever. We're Catholic and you ain't married. So bye-bye. So it was like, oh, so I either will never see anybody again. I'll never get help. I won't get an apartment after college. I'm on my own or I relinquish child and I can, you know, and that, you know, it was the lack, what did your mom say was, how did she? Oh yeah. It was the time a single unwed mother was a nobody ostracized, pushed to the side of society, which she had been most of her life anyways, you know, different layers. So that kind of led me onto what her childhood was like. So here you are pregnant and alone. You're going to have a baby and, and she was told repeatedly, nobody's going to want you. Nobody's going to want you. Just kind of looked at her future and she's like, well, I want this baby, but I don't want this life for my baby. Yeah. You know, I want better than what I had was really her thing. Yeah. I think it was quite similar for my birth mother as well. It was, there's not a lot of options, not a lot of choice. No, and a total lack of choice. And I think that's so important around your project and what you're doing is normalizing this conversation around adoption because we forget what it was like for women 
just a generation ago. No, it's it was the culture back then. And yeah. we were having this discussion yesterday and what is going to change it. And I think it's going to be that the culture of the familial culture of what we how we raise our children and what we believe to be the way we take care of our own. I think it's changing. You're seeing older parents living now in the homes of my peers now, more so maybe the way that uh, maybe Asian cultures have done in the past and we're doing that. And to, I'm also seeing how dare we relinquish a child. My daughter might be 18, but no, that child's going to stay in the home. And I'm seeing more of that and there's less of a stigma, but back then there was more of that. And it was oh, yeah. definite shame and stigma and guilt for having done that. And I think it is changing, but it's going to take a while for this new, and we're still not fully there yet. We still have more to go, but there is more of an openness to keeping the child in home under the wing of the biological family. Even that being said, not always can it be done. Adoption exists out of necessity. It's <laughs> not going to, you know, it'd be neat if there was no need for adoption. That'd be fantastic. Fabulous. <laughs> great. But it exists because there is a necessity. So it's it won't go away. But if we can improve it and make it so that it's more open and there's more of a dialogue about it, we can hopefully limit the amount of adoptions so that it's only in those dire cases. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Adoptees, do you find that they're all eager for this conversation to kind of be open and out there versus hidden behind closed doors like it has been? The group that's coming to the meetings is in the group that wants to know a little bit like kind of the and i'm sure i'm going to catch a little flack i have many great friends in cub but that's filled with birth mothers that are very active in wanting things to change so and we have to remember and we're not doing it enough joe saul puts it so well talks about you know, one of the great pains that he deals with is how society so tragically underestimates the trauma of separation of mother from child. And we we kind of say, oh, you're, you adopted a child. That's fantastic. Isn't she beautiful? And yes, that is all true. But there there is something that was so familiar to that child being carried around for nine and a half months in the mother's belly and you under, you recognize voice, you understand smells, you are you are born, you're in the hospital. I was with my birth mother for three days in the hospital, and then you are taken away. All familiarity is gone. You start to understand that life is confusion. You mm -hmm. equal life equals confusion, and you go through this feeling of, all right, there's only me to count on right now. I'm at this other situation. You don't know what you're doing. And I was in, I was in a foster in foster care for probably four or five weeks. Don't know who those people were. That would be interesting. Maybe there's some siblings that remember me being this little baby that one day I could, you know, talk to, but, and then you get put into a new situation and it was a very loving situation, but that baby still remembers the initial traumatic separation. That is something that I think we 
the more we can talk about and understand, the more we can heal. And if we can create a community of openness and discussing and be willing to talk about our vulnerabilities and be willing to talk about the fears. When I started looking for my birth mother, I had told my parents that I was going to look. And so now I feel detached from my parents because I'm, I've kind of acknowledged that I need, that I'm not, I've been raised by you, but I'm not totally from you. And I need to get out there. So you're kind of on that spacewalk with the tube attached. I'm outside the space shuttle trying to make it to the next place, but I don't yet know where that is. And then when I make it there, it's a little unstable. You know, I plant the flag in there and say, yay, found birth mother, found birth father. But that flag, uh, it's unstable and there's not a lot of oxygen up here. And I am on the moon, but it's cold (laughs) as fuck. And I, you know what? I'm hungry. And I don't know what, like now I'm in this world. And then you want to go, Hey, you know, space shuttle. I'm sorry. Can I come back? You know, this is, you're kind of, not that they don't take you back. My parents were very open and encouraged my search, but you are in this detached no man's land for a little while. So it took a little bit to kind of calm that down and understand where you settle in. And it took a bit for my mom and I to really find our, uh, find our footing that, the reassurance to my mom that you are my mom and I love you and you are my everything also for her to know that I did need to do this. And I also have this relationship that I need to work on. It was a, it was a balancing act in a way. Um, There is, yeah, that feeling that you're maybe ungrateful to your adoptive parents, but I think after a couple of years, two, three years, my mom and I found good footing. Not that things were ever rough between us, but I think we just found that that good bond again um, after a few years of that. Even though she was very encouraging and she met with my birth mother and all that, it's just, it's an undertaking. There's a lot of things that come up. And there's no rule book either. There's no rule book. Yeah. There's no rule book. And I remember, you know, my birth mother was very concerned that she said, well, I want to be able to come do Christmas. I'm like, well, Christmas where I'm doing Christmas with my parents. She goes, well, I would love to be there. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm mm-hmm. down for that kind of a blended thing. I love our relationship and I love my relationship with my parents, but I don't need it to be a blended malaise of, you know, stuff. And it, it is still a little awkward for me, to be honest, even today, if my mom and birth mother are in the same room, it's still not like, I know people that have like, they're best friends. We have great times. We go to Jamaica and have a good time. You know, we went to Mexico vacation. That's not us. It's cordial for great relationships with both, but I don't feel like having that relationship unfold right in front of my during Christmas you know I, I just don't yeah <laughs> so it's not a Christmas thank you yeah and, I, and that's I, okay but there yeah. are people that do have it but yeah. that's why each you know in, in this community I don't know if there's a community that has such a vast array of such a vast array of different 
stories and experiences as this. Maybe I'm being too presumptuous that this is, you know, I'm sure there are many other communities that have a lot of different stories within it, but the adoption community and the stories of the adoptee and the birth parents and the reunion, adoptive parents, that whole, you know, adoption triangle, some people now are calling it the adoption constellation because there's even foster and so it's oh, even... Yeah. It's a lot. And I think that's such a cool thing. You've taken this really complex and beautiful, but you've taken this experience and turned it into art and art that heals, which I think is so cool. So cool and very powerful to do something like that because it, I mean, one, that's innately who you are, but then that's also going to help heal others and help them make sense of this. Like you said, it's this incredibly dynamic and diverse community of people. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I did an interview with a person that I actually went to high school with, again, through Facebook, kind of, he heard about my project, and we did an interview, he said something very interesting, He he's also Japanese, but adopted to a Chinese family in San Francisco, Bay Area, he is also gay and adopted, and he, I said, that's this is interesting. Where does adoption come on the list of the challenges? Tough thing was being Japanese in our, in our community of not a lot of people. Not diverse. Yeah. Not diverse. That was the toughest thing. Number two was coming out and living the life uh, as a you know gay individual. And three was being an adopted individual. So it was, it was interesting. You know, that's the top of my list of challenges in my life. And for him, it was number three. So it was like, wow. Okay. So not only is it that maybe I need to be looking at the fact that everybody has a different take on the whole adoption thing and where it plays a part in your life. That was, I I just found that interesting. So when, yeah. how and when are we going to be able to see your stories? I'm hoping as, as soon as possible. COVID has not been kind to the interview process. You know, these stories keep hitting my windshield. They keep coming and there are so many of them. And it's been absolutely fascinating. I want real. I want truth. I want honesty. I want life is too short to be carrying, you know, all this crap swept under the carpet. There's stuff that I've, that I've dealt with. Every adoptee deals with every birth parent deals with adoptive parents. Like, let's get, let's talk about it. And so prevalent in this country. Again, if you don't, if you're not adopted, you know, somebody that is. And, but the stories other than the show where they pull, they reveal the big reveal. That's not real. Let's get get the real stuff. Let's talk about it. And talk about the climb to Everest. Like you said, let's do it. Right. People walking around feeling um, shame and guilt isn't going to make for a, a very happy person out there. And, you know, take the, the fear and stigma out of talking about these things. And, I mean, it can be applied to many different subjects, but this is one that obviously near and dear to me. And I'd like to help other people start taking these vulnerabilities that they're afraid to talk about that in the 
past I was afraid to talk about. And now I find them, these vulnerabilities have turned into my strengths. It's a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. And these strengths have turned into my superpower. My it's, I've made it into a mountain of strength. It's, you know, and it's something that makes me unique. And if we can get that message across to everyone else that you're unique, you have an incredible story. People want to hear about it when you're, you know, if you come into something being vulnerable, people will listen. It's pretty hard to, you know, get mad at someone and say, well, look, I'm sorry. I, they come at you with a reveal that they're feeling vulnerable about this or that discussion happens. There's no, there's not a lot of arguing and, and shut down communication. There's a lot of openness and discussion and healing that comes out of that. If we can do that, and I know I'm probably more of an unlikely steward of it, coming from no. a, you know shooting music and rock and roll, I, I don't maybe look like what maybe you might think the uh, you know <laughs> somebody who's trying to uh, help out the adoption community. Uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of even more reason, Jeff. Let's take all that the power that that shame and guilt or unknowing or. You know, you're afraid to tell your your adoptive parents you want to look. Let's remove that and let's allow you to go forward and live your life as you. And it will live somewhere, whether it lives as documentary or as an episodic. But we've got 38 hours of footage. Yeah, I'd love to have another 2025. I want I want a lot and to get you know we've got some great stories. We've and let's share it. Let's share it. Let's show people. Let that uh, the good feels and community grow and uh, help each other out. I mean, that's the power of a of uh, vulnerability and facing it and and sharing your truth, no matter what it is. That's the community that's super powerful. And we even talked about this. These genealogy sites. There's more of this coming our way. Oh, I know. There's. I know of a girl uh, who she found out kind of on her mom's deathbed, she found out that her father, she revealed to her that her father who had passed away 10 years earlier was not actually her biological father, but it was a donation from the Philadelphia area back in the early seventies. And then they found out that the donation was from a doctor who had donated to 30 other embryo donations. So she now has like all these brothers and sisters she didn't know about like two years ago. And that's happening. There's a lot of. And it's going to be in every family, especially because when we were talking about our, our moms and the position that they found themselves in, there's so many children from that generation. And now that you've got the, and those women who were put in these horrible situations, and now you've got the genealogy sites and it's popping up everywhere. It's popped up in my own family beyond my mother and my brother and me. It's incredible, though. I think we're slowly progressing into more of an understanding that family doesn't need to be so much this nuclear family with, you know, 2.1 kids and a dog and two parents. But you can have two fathers, two mothers, one mother, one father, two kids adopted, one biological. You can have half brothers, half sisters. You can have... (laughs) all works and you know family is what you make it and the love that you throw into it that's what uh, always makes for the best cooking throw in a lot of love and you're going to get something tasty out of it oh i love it on that perfect jeff just absolutely perfect thank you for sharing your story and your vulnerability we're all better for it for reals (laughs) absolutely thank you jen 
as Jeff said, vulnerability is a superpower. And as Jeff shared with us, it's necessary in creating connection, especially in the adoption constellation. Like many artists, Jeff found himself sharing the stories of others as a means of understanding his own experience. In searching for the truth surrounding his birth mother, he ended up with a lot of questions, like all of us would. I'm proud to share that Jeff and I will be offering a series of podcasts related to adoption and foster parenthood. Our next such episode will be live next week in honor of Mother's Day. And it is a story that is not only moving, but will leave you in perpetual chills. Until next time, stay curious and be well.